spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? In this episode of the Send Podcast, we have a very deep conversation with Liv Barry. Liv is a very multi-dimensional human being and she is best known for being a poker player. She is into physics, into future technology and she is also a big fan of effective autism, games and exploring this planet. This podcast is one of them podcasts that runs absolutely everywhere. If you've come here for poker, you've tuned into the wrong podcast. We talk about the true nature of this existence, the simulation theory, the video game that is life, Zen monks, and so much more. We've also just launched our new logo design for the podcast, and I hope you guys like it. And just before we jump with this conversation, you can now support the podcast by going to our Patreon page. And if you don't know what Patreon is, Patreon supports the podcast directly and you also get to receive some really cool rewards in the process. Currently we have five tiers of rewards set up. We have reward tiers called Hidden Citizens, Pursuit of Knowledge, Seeker, Awakened Mind, Enlightened Ones and The Paradigm Shift. And each tier has lots of fun different rewards. You might get a cool binaural beat or guided meditation every month. And why not be a part of our brand new Ascend Conscious Hub? where you get access to other awakened minds, including me and Chris, and guests from the podcast. And all this is extremely simple. If you want to support the podcast, all you need to do is go to the Ascend podcast website, click on the Patreon page, click on the Patreon link, and check out the cool rewards you guys can get. Choose your tier and help us take this thing to the next level. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump into this conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to the inner workings of my mind. Some reason I doesn't want to be talked about. Oh yeah, definitely. We've had that. We've had that too. They don't. You know, they know that we know, and they don't want us to continue talking about it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They'll be listening on us, making sure that we don't go too deep down the rabbit hole. But um, me and Chris prior to this conversation, on so many occasions, we've had the like the conversation, like the simulation conversation. Are we in a simulation? Do we live in a simulation? But uh, when we both noticed, like you wrote a blog post about this conversation on your website as well, we obviously recognise that you're also asking yourself the same question as well. But what do you think about Elon Musk actually now coming out and saying that we are living in a simulation? Uh, It's it's it's, it's obviously a pretty mind-shattering concept. So... To it wasn't actually Elon that sort of came up with it. Um, he bought it to the public side quite recently, um, but actually it was first sort of um, posited by this guy called Nick Bostrom, who's a philosopher from Oxford University and just general absolute genius. Um, and he wrote a paper some ten years or so ago, um, basically saying, you know, looking at sort of the exponential rate of uh, of like technology of how fast you know that you might have heard of moore's law which is basically saying that like computing capabilities are increasing exponentially with time which just means that like it's just getting faster and faster our capabilities to actually 
you know, compute stuff. We're getting such powerful computers um, absurdly quickly. And based upon that, it seems very likely that one of the three statements has to be true. Um, the first one is either before we ever reach a point where our we're what classically post-human, which means that like our technology is so good that we can um, accurately simulate, you know, our universe. Uh, before we reach that point, we're likely to go extinct um, and therefore never be able to do it. Or two, that our, you know, our ancestors, assuming we do make it to like post-human, for some reason, our ancestors wouldn't even be interested in uh, running simulations of their history. So that's, I guess, a possibility. Or the third outcome, if those two things are false, means that we are most likely living in a simulation. Um, because if you know we do make it to the, the, the to, to post-human state where we can make these uh, make a simulation, then there's going to be so many of these simulations. Most likely, it seems incredibly unlikely that we're living in the one sort of base reality. Um, and if you read sort of through the logical arguments of this paper, it's really hard to dispute it. Yeah. Um, and so what do I personally think? I mean, I'm, I haven't really been able to think of particularly strong counters to that. Um, and so, yeah, we are most likely living in a simulation, um, which is pretty stressful and interesting thought to have. Yeah, it's stressful, but it could be also beautiful on the other hand as well. That's the way I like to think of it. But it is, it's very <laughs> interesting because, like you were saying there, if we do get to a point in time where... Like let's say where the asteroid doesn't come and hit the planet, and we get we have like, uh, the ability to sort of like technologically advance. It's interesting because I was actually thinking like let's just say there was some um, advanced like alien beings out there somewhere, they mm-hmm. would actually want to try and create their um, their past in like high resolution, so they would actually create their whole past in like say let's say like every single level, in mm-hmm. every single dimension, including each of our own individual perceptions of reality. So. And I know that's like that is a mind puzzle to put your mind around it. But it's like you were saying before: if we do, if an asteroid doesn't hit the planet, it's inevitable that in the future that we do and try and create ourselves in the future on every right. single level. Yeah, exactly. Like if uh, you know, asteroid or any other extinction event, you know, nuclear war, whatever it might be. If if those things don't happen, then yeah, our technology, assuming our technology technological process continues unimpeded, then it's very possible that within a hundred years we have super intelligent AIs. You know, like or we've developed one at least, if not multiple, and you know that's it's going to just absolutely change the world as we know it. You know, we're no longer the the dominant species. Essentially, we're you know we're not the dominant um, form of intelligence, and and again, like technology would therefore probably continue following this exponential curve, and it, the world will be unrecognizable. So, what that means, uh, sorry, leading back into what was your point oh, about yeah so about aliens i mean it depends what you define as an alien but yeah if we're talking yeah. about like future versions of ourselves be it even if it's a sort of um an actual artificial intelligence you know that might next be our you know it might well be our next evolutionary step that we become some kind of you know we turn into an ai humans themselves don't exist but be it through like sort of biotechnology some kind of singularity or whatever um you know, the, the, our next step that whatever is created whatever it becomes wants to see where it came from and therefore it's going to create a ton of these possible realities so now the next question is is like oh is the simulation that we're living in one of these like m- one of many 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 simulations all of which are slightly different parameters that might end up in different outcomes you know could we be in one that actually doesn't end up in the true sort of 
whatever the you know the ancestors actually turned out to be it could be one that actually ends in another way or so on that's kind of a scary thought to think about as well that there might be all these you know sort of dud simulations and we just happen to be in one of the ones that made it this far but actually might not make it any further or so on that's another thing to think about yeah it definitely is actually (laughs) (laughs) it makes us think about all these different science projects like which one's the good one and which one's the bad one really (laughs) yeah uh, do you have any specific ones in mind or oh Oh, them. It's like the volcano. Like, you know, when you do the, the volcano and eventually one erupts and the other ones are all like duds because um, somebody can't figure it out. <laughs> we happen to be the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Liv, I was also just thinking now when you started talking about uh, the future versions of ourselves and mm-hmm. I was going back to the idea, like, what would their, what would their ideas of um, this current reality be? And they'd be more concerned directly with the survival of us. So they'll be focusing on creating that simulation just for the idea of creating their own survival for the future. So the idea will be to constantly create this whole past versions of ourselves through the simulation, which is very interesting. So we'll be like the super cute computer now, but we'll be the super computer regression of them. And it'll make us actually think what um, are our true identities like temporarily suppressed to heighten the realness of this experience. It's such a fascinating concept and it really makes me ins- look at um, who's actually watching us because they, if they were to create this simulation theory, they'd have so much invested personally that they must need to monitor our um, all, whole understanding of this concept. I think that's only true if, if we're assuming that they only make one simulation. You know what I mean? Like they make one, you know, let's say they only have the resources or perhaps the, the passing interest to just make one. In that case, then they'd be motivated to make that simulation as as accurate as possible to whatever their base reality was, uh, in order to you know to see it. Then you know finally when it when it's done, ending up in their present day. Um, but if they're you know the way that we do simulations a lot, like doing different models, is that we'll actually run like many many iterations of them. You know if we're trying to simulate you know model how our climate works or something, we'll sort of have a bunch of parameters and and we'll sort of pre- click go and some of the simulations aren't that good and they'll end up sort of in you know some random tangent another one i end up in the other direction and some you know but ultimately over many many iterations they'll sort of converge on what are you know the most likely thing um and so going off our knowledge of how we do them it seems reasonable might not be but um to assume that their sort of method of simulating the their ancestry or whatever will also be the same so it, that would assume that there are actually many, many, many possible, you know, possible universes, which are, sim, you know, simulated universes, and we could be any one of those. So in that case, then it's sort of less that, you know, yeah, sure, their goal is to try and put the parameters as correctly as possible, but it doesn't necessarily mean that ours, you know, our one is the one that's correctly inputted or the most correctly inputted. Yeah, I, I liked how you said that because I think as well, I was thinking the chance of us being the first simulation, like the percentage of that. Or the got best to be, one. Yeah, or, yeah. The be, or the best one, yeah. It's got to be so low that that's literally right. not the case, is it really? Because obviously the chances of that is just like far and few, really. And I think it's interesting because Chris said something before as well. And I was like, when he was talking about, when Chris said about, what do you say before about the um, people watching us, the simulation, yeah. the creators of the simulation? Yeah, I was actually thinking, um, imagine if all our individual lives, like all our individual human lives now, are actually being, say like, let's say like they're being live streamed somewhere else to the creators mm. of the simulation. So just like we watch, um, like we watch certain 
we have certain programs in the UK now, like things like Big Brother and all these different sorts of reality shows that's all over the world. Yeah. And people, people, we're also watching other people now in this reality. But people are actually, we're talking about now, talking about people watching us in the simula- simulation and people are watching us saying these idiots are even talking about us watching them in the simulation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's definitely a, you know, that's... Because again, if you think about like, well, okay, what are their motivations for creating a simulation? It could be just, you know, academic research or it could be for entertainment. You know, if we're basically, um, you know, we could be a, a sort of a pre-written movie, I guess, which sort of then brings in, you know, that, you know, that sort of questions of how much free will do we even have? But that's too, too philosophically tricky to talk about, uh, at least for me. But um, yeah, if it's some kind of, entertainment type thing then yeah they're not necessarily going to uh optimize for you know optimize their simulation to have a strict outcome and more just like optimize it for for their entertainment um and i guess that's a pretty that's a pretty dark concept to consider because then it would imply because i mean that you know evolution is a pretty pretty suffering full um process uh and you know, so they, but at the same time, you know, if we look at the shows that we enjoy, the, the, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, Westworld, all of that, all of those sh- shows like have an immense amount of suffering in them. And we just, you know, sit back and watch them and we're like, oh, glad this isn't real life, you know, but like we can sort of empathize with it and it, it gets us going. Um, well, I guess you could say the same of, uh, you know, be it an alien race or future race or whoever, the sort of program creators of, of our little world. Um I guess they could just be going, well, you know, they're not really real. It's just, it's, it's an entertainment thing for them. Um, so that's definitely a possibility too. Um, but I, I just out of optimism bias, would prefer not to assume that's the case. Yeah, I know it is, it is quite, uh, quite negative, but it's interesting because when you, you made a good point there, because when you were talking about watching like Games of Thrones and Westworld, we actually, we just sit back and watch that and we don't like worry about the consequences. It's actually interesting because um, it's interesting when you, when you, even when you play, uh, like a child plays a video game, like the child's like consciously or unconsciously actually playing that video game and not like realizing all oh, them characters real in that game. And that would be the same right. thing if someone was watching us as well. Mm. Yeah. Like we don't think twice about, you know, we're playing Mario Brothers and, you know, Mario dies or we kill an adversary or whatever. We're just like, yay, la, la, la. And yeah, chances are that there's not really any suffering going on. But actually, if you think about what is the definition of suffering, it's like a a being that has an ability to sort of feel emotions and, and think and pain in some variety, you know, to some extent. Some are obviously less capable of that than others. You know, a worm is less capable than a dog, which is less capable than a human. But still, they still have like preferences and desires that they want to achieve. And they suffer when those preferences are not fulfilled. And so technically you could apply that same thinking to you know some more advanced you know computer games some characters their preference is to get all the get all the rings or whatever i mean i'm really oversimplifying it um but you know particularly looking towards the future that is going to be like an interesting ethical consideration to have as we start simulating um more and more sort of uh artificial intelligences of some form uh, you know at what point are they ability to, to to actually suffer are we creating more and more suffering uh similarly we might be able to create more and more happiness but then it's a big question of well do these is this happiness offsetting the potential suffering that they're feeling and that kind of thing so um again kind of very abstract but it's still i think an important consideration to think about from like a 
from an ethical standpoint. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking there in my head, imagine if like Planet Earth's like the new Nintendo, something like that, and some some like child in the bedroom and they just for all just they just switch it on for like a couple of hours and for us it feels like it's like seventy five years, a hundred years, like billions, like, billions, of years. billions of years, yeah. Billions. I mean the whole that's the thing. They it could be from their their point of view, yeah, they turn it on for thirty minutes and that's the entire you know, you congrats oh you bought universe version three. Let's see. It starts in the Big Bang and you know, and for us it's thirteen point seven billion years. But for them it's, you know, half an hour and then they go and do what you know, go outside or whatever the hell they do in the in their world. So yeah <laughs> That's that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, I think that's a, a really actually fun way of looking at it as well, as because it puts uh, it puts us in a into a perspective of just like what what the hell are we truly are like what are we actually and where are we going? I mean, are we just a simulation of a child's computer game, or are we actually the most complex being of human uh, intelligence, or like we can actually think of? Yeah, are we the still the base reality? You know, yes. uh, it's it's unlikely looking at these arguments, um, but at the same time, we're basing we, you know all of these logical arguments have sort of built upon the actual like basis of logic that we you know that's logic is still seemingly a human construct construct. It's our way of understanding the universe that we're in, but it doesn't necessarily mean that actually those logical rules are, pardon the pun, universal. You know, a a causes b causes c is how we understand things because we like live in a world of like causality and, and time. But actually, the true nature of existence might be something. You know, a a may not cause b, or it might cause everything at the same time, or who knows. Um, so you know, if you think about that, then it could actually break down like Bostrom's arguments. Um, so that's why you know we don't know, but we have to sort of go off upon you know based upon our actual sort of experiences and the evidence that we have because we don't have any other choice and evidence suggests that logic does exist causality exists and therefore um these you know we'll use these logical steps and it's most likely the case have live have you seen the um the alan watts um i uh, the inception idea of virtual reality have you heard alan watts when no. he talks about the dream yeah, oh, that's beautiful. yeah he, he, in terms he, like he talks about like say in terms of like creating a virtual reality he uses like the dream but you can sort of like turn it on the virtual reality sort of stance but he talks about how um like at the start see like we did create a virtual reality you said you'd be able to like go on all these adventures and sort you could do anything you wanted just like say ride a dinosaur do any you could do anything in the game basically mm-hmm. but he says um obviously he says eventually after having like everything that you wanted he said he talks about how you'd actually want to take the simulation that like a little bit further and, like have some more risks and he mm-hmm. says you would start trying to have make create something that you wouldn't be sure what's like what's going to be around the corner. And he says eventually you would put yourself into a simulation where um, where's like a place where it's, there's no way out. And like you you said before, a place where sort of time governs a game, and um, you have like no idea like what will happen in the game. And once you go into the simulation, we sort of like you give yourself a, like a form of um, like a form of dementia, I form of amnesia. Sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And you actually have no idea, or like sort of you're in a similar simulation. Oh, that's like some Black Mirror shit. <laughs> so yeah, you're basically saying you would vol- you you become do- so desensitized to all the great experiences that you've had in VR that you would need more and more extreme ones. And ultimately, the most extreme one is going in there and not knowing that you're there or why you're there. Yeah. And so actually, just basically creating a new world for yourself where you are this new being, uh, or you know, or something. You don't you don't know what's going on and you have to figure it out. I mean, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> that's that's pretty. Uh, um, I mean, it's definitely something I've thought about a little bit. Sort of the implications of VR. I don't know if you guys have played much of it. 
Have you tried it yet? Yeah, I've tried it. Um, I had a massive spider crawling all over my hand and stuff like that. Oh my god! Wow, <laughs> what game is that? Oh, I can't remember. It was, uh, oh, I'll have to. Um, I'll find out and I'll let you know. Honestly, I can't yeah, remember the top um, of my head. So, like, I, I've I've only played one or two sort of games that have any kind of like scary element, and it was so stressful just because you know what's what sets VR apart from any other sort of type of game is that it's completely immerse, immersive three-dimensional the feedback is immediate and it, it tricks that like lizard part of your brain into thinking that it's really happening um and i i personally I, i'm not particularly again i don't have a strong opinion about horror movies either way um you know i think the world is probably better off if they don't exist but i don't think they have too big an impact but with vr like a friend of mine did this 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 game is a very funny story he was like thrown into uh it was he was trying it out for the first time in front of the developers and all these like suits at some like facebook vr convention and and he was having to play this full-on horror game where like zombies are appearing out of anywhere and he had to like physically stab them and there's blood everywhere and he said it basically gave him ptsd because it was just so stressful he's like not someone who particularly liked horror movies anyway but this was so overwhelming to his system that it, it like he like he just really like he has flashbacks if he thinks about it he said it was terrible and this game should not exist the world is so much better off because we do not want to desensitize ourselves like we're going to create a generation of people so desensitized to the most scarily imaginable things like where do we go you know yeah it is it is fascinating conversation that like desensitizing ourselves because it seems to be in the human experience we're already sort of like doing that anyway even without virtual reality there's so many situations in life like Mm -hmm. now sort of just to bring it back to more fundamental levels things like even going into nature and things like that and domesticating ourselves we're sort of coming away from that the basic needs of a human into something like yeah. we're becoming us as a human being now we're actually becoming like something else yeah Tra- transhumanism i think is possibly like the correct term for it but yeah we're de- we're definitely moving away from our our bio you know our, our sort of naturalistic roots and our um that said, I mean, maybe I'm one of the, I, I can't speak for sort of the newest generation who are like fully sort of grew up with the tech, like technology everywhere, um, you know, in terms of like mobile phones and internet and so on. But I still gain such immense pleasure from just being disconnected from everything and being back in the woods. Um, so much so that it makes me question whether like it's, it's a, whether we'll ever be able to sort of really like tr- transcend that need. Um and you know it's i think even sort of the most nature hating person still gets some pleasure out of like sitting on a mountaintop and seeing a beautiful view or something like that um so it's interesting sort of like where that where are where that sort of like deep part of ourselves comes from and and you know why why do we feel so attached to sort of the the beauty of of nature because it, it i mean it's i guess you know it is where we come from but at the same time, we're sort of moving further and further away from it. And it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing to balance. It's interesting because the simulation, like <laughs> we're talking about simulation theory, the simulation that we're actually trying to create, it seems to be that we've already got that simulation already. So we're, right. already, we're already dealing with that now in life where we actually don't know what's around the corner. And that obviously that sort of ties in what I've seen about Alan Watts before as well, because mm-hmm. obviously the sort of the mysteries of life and you want, if you do create a simul- simulation, you'd also want to create a simulation where you didn't know what was going to happen because you'd get bored of knowing everything. Right. And it seems yeah. that, it seems to me, I was thinking about this, we may be now already playing sort of a, um, 
playing this amazing game now actually we could be maybe see if this is a simulation we could be like a, um, a future civilization but we're actually just playing like a a version of earth in the past yeah that's what it could be yeah they've just sort of put in put in rough parameters that sort of match the laws of physics for them uh you know for what they they observe laws of physics to be and they put in roughly the same you know relativity is the same blah 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 speed of light is fixed um but They've still just otherwise sort of sort of simulated randomness as much as possible just to see where it ends up, um, and because you know there does seem to be a, like a lot of randomness in in our in the inherent nature of the universe, you know, um, and from you know we right now with our current computational powers find it hard to simulate randomness like to like perfection. We've gotten pretty close to it, but it's it's still very hard to do. Whereas um, you know maybe in the future that they you know they're Technology is good enough to completely make up, you know, create random interactions, fully random interactions, and they just have to go, okay, well, f- this is roughly how physics works, and yeah, yeah. press play, and now let's see where it ends up. And then this one, it ends up with a bunch of humans on Earth, or, yeah. uh, you know, another one, it ends up with, I mean, we obviously don't know, there might be other planets with the same sort of processes going on, but, um, yeah, we can only speak about yeah. that. Like saying something like, "Let's let's let's uh, try this Donald this new Donald Trump character. Let's throw him into the, <laughs> yeah. let's throw him into the game." <laughs> yeah, let's just, yeah let's, let's like maybe they just like tweaked the parameters a bit a little bit and gone. Ah, you know what? Humans are starting to get a little bit too rational. Let's throw in a bunch of like you know sort of f- f- things that make them just divert a little bit back to their uh, more animalistic ways and see how they then start voting. Oh look, now that's happening. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's always 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 given us like this beautiful perspective of the surprise and like we, humans can never really outdo ourselves. We can always top it, can't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we it's still. I mean, it's still. I was saying this the other day. I think we're just at the. I mean, by far the most exciting and simultaneously terrifying time to be alive. You know, if for those observers somewhere else watching our our little Westworld play out, you know, this is the finale of season one by far. Yeah, yeah. Most, or I mean, maybe season two if you count sort of the extinction of the dinosaurs as season one. But let's let's assume that this is actually season one still. Um, and you know, it, it's it's definitely you know we're we're getting to a very interesting place where things are either going to go really really right or really really wrong, um, if you ask me. So I mean, defending depending on your definition of right or wrong. But um, yeah, it's it's. It's good. I mean, at least we're in some ways we're lucky to be able to be here and observe it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even. Sorry, Liv. I wouldn't even say we're in a um, into the second season. I'd say we're probably we're in the first episode. To be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe, maybe. And, and um, I, really, I really do think, Liv, like, like when we were talking about there before um, with Dan, when he was talking about um, how nature was diverse to the idea of virtual reality, like mm-hmm. the idea of just putting on a headset and simulating these different types of environments. It made me actually question, like right there, it made me question, um, how do we expect virtual reality in comparison with our own evolutionary development from that of nature? I mean, we can't really understand, like, like nature has nurtured our mind for so long and, right. it's, and it's created all this beautiful perspective in there. How do we expect something like virtual reality to replicate such a, such a thing in like within 30 years or 50 years or even 100 years? Well, um, again, you've got to look at sort of if, if it's a character living within virtual reality, just because from our perspective that, you know, the time is past. It's only 30 years. It's passed. It's more about like the sort of number of evolutionary cycles that happens within that reality. 
for that. You know, I think our perspective on the world has come about because, you know, we've, we're essentially the product of those first cells a few billion years ago on Earth that sort of st- found a way to reproduce and create more and more sort of complex animals. Um, and our accumulated world, our worldview is basically an accumulation of, of all of those things. I think it's it's reasonable to say, um, you know, that those those deep seated desires we have come from our our sort of survival desires that the creatures had back then um, that we're descended from. So, in in virtual reality space, yeah, thirty years might pass by for us, um, but for someone like living in there, or you know, multiple beings, they again, like if it's if it's there, if there's some kind of evolution process going in going on in there, by the time. Uh, you know, many millions or billions of those iterations have happened, they'll have developed some kind of worldview where they think then then virtual reality is just pure nature and they'll love it for its for its natural it's it's it's, it's they'll love it as much as we love our nature, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, you'd probably not that you'd probably not know the difference. That that's how good that the technology is gonna be. You just wouldn't even know right. the difference. Um, it, it is be really interesting though, to think about what actual the simulation theory actually means for like human civilization. I know we're talking about before. It can mm-hmm. sort of send you crazy down one direction, but it can also in a turn as well. Like I was thinking before in my head, it could actually also make you like think the, think it's just a game and just like think it's a beautiful game and just play the game. And um, sure. And it makes you in your mind as well think like, oh, if it is just a game, let's say, like you've got, you, like obviously you can just start figuring out how the actual game works and start how figuring out how the controller works, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I was actually wondering, um, what, what, obviously through the impact of the simula- simulation theory, because I know obviously you've had lots of deep thoughts on it, but has how has that like actually affected your, um, your the way, this, way that you sort of like play the game, so to say? Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, I... I found it had way less effect on the way I've lived my life um, than perhaps people would expect. Like I, I don't because because there's so much uncertainty. It would be kind of foolish of me to like make any major life choices or um, allow my brain to sort of go down the rabbit hole, to, so to speak, um, and, and change the way I, I think or do things. Uh, because the thing is, is that whether we're in a simulation or not experientially it's all the same you know if i am mean to somebody else then they'll have a bad experience or if i'm nice to somebody else they'll have a good experience and you know like in terms of then like sort of net suffering or happiness in the world like simulation or not i can still improve it or or make it worse based upon my own decisions so um i'm still going to like sort of follow the 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 path that I'm on that seems to like basically like optimize my decisions for, for the best possible outcomes, both for myself and for as many others as possible. Um, so yeah, I've, I, I guess the only way it's like really changed anything is that I've st- perhaps like starting to sweat the small stuff a little bit more. Um, or at least I, I feel like I've become better at analyzing what is, what is the small stuff and what's more, you know, you know, what's the big stuff to, to concern myself with. Um, so yeah, I've, it's, it can be a nice motivator to make to make one you know fuss less about some like relatively petty interaction you know someone got pushed in front of me in a line or 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 uh, something like that or I'm missing a miss a flight um, and instead like really focus on like well what are the big questions or how can I be maximizing my impact in this you know in this world um, but otherwise, no, like it, it really, it's, it's not something it'd be, it'd be unfair for me to say it's something I think about a lot. I don't think about it anywhere near as much as perhaps, um, you would expect because it's just like, well, there's too much uncertainty and I know I can be, you know, do, do the best that I can 
if I carry on thinking in this way or so yeah I, li- I like that Liv because I think it is it is sort of hard I mean, I mean if you do think about see if it is a simulation it is the, the game is so good it, it still makes you question that it, we don't know the game and it seems right. to be that it's like it's so biologically like um, sort of ingrained in our DNA sort of say like the, in the whole laws of the game like the code that's being created the, the code all the codes saying sort of don't go against the game like sort of yeah. everything that you've learned don't go don't go against it and I think it's it's so hard as a human being because I, I notice things that I do in my life but it's so hard to sort of like change that like code or change that operating system mm-hmm. it's so in, deep and rooted into us isn't it Right, exactly. And I mean, it's, it's, I think it's fine to, to, and, and healthy and good to like ponder on it from time to time, you know, and it, it, it give you perspective when you're sort of, you know, if you catch yourself falling into, you know, classic like drudgery in some way in your mind, you know, you're not, you're not being present enough or so on, then it's a good way of going, ah, you know, like just ponder these philosophical questions. And then you like, like I said, you're not sweating the small stuff as much. Um, Sorry, how did I can't remember what was your what was your exact question? Oh yeah, I, I didn't. It wasn't a question. I was just saying. Okay. I was just saying about the biological effect on our body. How it. Yeah. It just is. It's just really fascinating concept of how sort of certain pe- certain people as well. My thinking as well. Certain people can like like you said. It was a brilliant example. What you said there. Just using it for sort of a practice of being more mindful in the moment. So if you are exactly. getting if you are getting angry at someone, like say if someone's driving <laughs> in the car, I actually do this process myself. I'm driving. I say if I'm driving in the car and someone's in front of us, and you, you have that like sort of that animalistic human like sort of like nature inside your body saying get angry, get angry, but then you just you can sort of like switch that switch what you said of being mindful and just say oh it's just a game what you're doing like laugh at right. yourself laugh at the character that you've created getting angry <laughs> exactly yeah I mean and if that is if that's what works for you if you you know if thinking that you're actually oh I'm just this is just a game and it's it's a playful thing. Then you immediately get this higher perspective and go, oh, you can like look down on the situation. And go, that's that's a funny little quirk of the game. Um, what's my next? You know, what, what's my what's the end of level one? Actually, let's focus back on that goal. You know, or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's quite it's quite a nice mindfulness technique to think yeah. of. Yeah, look at look at the little monkey getting uh, angry. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's throwing exactly. his bananas out the pram. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think um, when we're talking about right now is uh, it really gives us like a good insight into the mind of like um, not just like people who are consciously aware of this, but overall the conscious level of, of this planet right now and the overall collective consciousness. And I mm-hmm. think the overall collective consciousness is actually keeping us on this limited plane where it's actually limiting our mind's capability like through watching stuff like TV and through just being like the monkey in the game, you know what I mean? But we need to really understand that in order to evolve as a whole, overall, the conscious level of this collective consciousness needs to evolve in a sense. We all need to be start becoming aware and awareness right. is key. We need to stop being, being distracted. Yeah, basically, yeah. Definitely. And, and like that's what I feel like life is, at least for me. It's like a constant battle between distraction and and awareness and it's it's so it's so hard to like you know i don't think i'll ever be able to fully master it you know you hear these like sort of zen masters that go through life being you know fully aware at all times of the present moment and you know when they want to you know they basically have mastery of their brain um i remember like reading eckhart tolle and you know him talking about like we you know this voice in our head um, we're often, you know, slaves to it, but they, you know, if you become aware enough, you can master it and then you just use it to your advantage when you need to. And the rest of the time, you're just in perfect presence. Well, um, you know, I, 
I definitely go through like little peaks where I become more of that. But in terms of like sustaining it 24 seven, I, I do find, and I think most people will always find it nigh on impossible. That said, it's still a very important goal to work, work towards. Yeah. And, 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 and being, you know, being mindful to be mindful, I think should be the goal. Um, at least level one goal. Um, just, you know, being aware to sort of not be, you know, like, just getting in the men into the mental habit of checking in with yourself. Am I being present right now? Yes or no. It's fine if you're not, but it like you should reward yourself for how often you, you, you check in to be present. Um, and I, I definitely found that sort of that improved my, like just the quality of my happiness, um, sort of the, you know, uh, my, and just like my, my general, my general mood. Yeah. I think as well, Liv though, it goes into programming as well. I mean, like we are programmed by society to think um, of these, higher levels of intelligence are something that we may never achieve or even these higher levels of peace and harmony in the mind can only be achieved by say like a buddhist monk or a zen warrior or a zen master mm -hmm. and it makes us think like are we actually limiting ourselves and our own capabilities by, by actually, believing that yeah oh. yeah oh for sure like that yeah. that was what i loved about like uh reading toller it was a little bit too much on the sort of metaphysical side for me, but it's still like the, the take home message was that you can be your own Zen master. Like it, it, you have that power and it is a, it's a choice. It's just, it's just, uh, it's just a question of like reminding yourself to make that choice. And there is no, like, you don't have to go and live in a, in a temple or somewhere. And it makes life, it makes it easier to be mindful if the less sort of distractions you have around you, but still you can still be it even in this like connected world you just it, it's just a little bit harder um so yeah it's it, it's it's a very encouraging thought i think and to 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 be aware that actually it is it is achievable it's just you need to sort of have um i mean i think it's also a product of the more free time you have a lot a lot of i think a lot of sort of problem with society is that people have actually relatively little time to themselves you know like most people sort of stuck in some kind of like nine to five or something like we're well, not stuck i don't want to say like say that that's like necessarily a bad thing but a lot of people are in jobs which take up a lot of their time of something that they don't particularly want to be doing um and therefore you know that's that's essentially a distraction um and and it's and it makes it harder to then sort of um become more mindful but it's not impossible and and there are still many people who are doing jobs that they don't particularly want to do who are incredibly mindful and they're like they're like they should be our inspiration you know because they're, they're, they're what i would consider enlightenment people who are able to it's, it's incredible um and so we need i guess like more of those people to be talking about their methods and and and, le and letting others know that actually it is possible uh, I was, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Liv. I was going to say, the nine to five itself. It's it is the actual idea. It is a pro a limited belief in a program. And mm -hmm. I think though, if we can change the overall program, where we can enlighten a human being from say the minute they were born to the minute they would die, and we completely raise the collective consciousness to a global state where everyone feels enlightened and harmony is all one, mm -hmm. and we. We never limit the plane. And I mm -hmm. think if we can completely change the overall program, that is when the next level kicks in to us as humanity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the utopian ideal. It's just a question of how we do that. So what what methods do you think are the best ways of actually getting that done? Um, I would say 
get me as Prime Minister, and then uh-huh. my co-host Dan in charge of uh, foreign affairs. Sure. <laughs> Liv, I'm going to have... Be, can I be head of science and technology? Of course. <laughs> I think, But I think that what I just said there, though, uh, not as a joke in the sense, but getting great minds together who can actually figure out ideas and really invest in these ideas and bring bring these new um, existences to life. We need to really start bringing it all together. I was just going to say as well, jump in, I think as well, it's not just, I know as well, change, you can't, when, you, when, when someone wants to change themselves, you can't always look outside yourself. You've got to look inside yourself for change. But I That's still true. think, I still think though, the way the system is set up though, we, we still need like a whole like conservative effect where it's a whole global community sort of restructuring the whole system. Because mm-hmm. I think as well, you can change yourself to a certain extent, but if you change yourself, to, if you if you change yourself to a certain point, there's there's still going to be so many other people who built within that so whole system that are still holding it up. So I think it's got to come from a perspective where you actually we actually change the full, the whole workings of the system, not just the things in the system. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's there's definitely like a lot of real flaws in in the way that the current system is set up. Yeah, where like just a lot of things are held back. I mean, just sort of the the economy is at present very dependent upon you know still sort of this this you know ideally people would do their one career um that's sort of fixed and they put in a certain number of hours and and you know have have a certain amount of output but actually i think whether or not we whether or not we want it like economically and so on like we're, we're coming to a, a huge overhaul regardless because of mechanization and technology um soon so many you know there, a, a paper came out quite recently i think what was the number something like 49 or 50 percent of u.s jobs um are going to be obsolete in somewhere between 10 to 15 years time because and, and and this is not like you know previously it was you know uh loom you know materials makers were became redundant because of automatic printers or whatever and so more like blue collar jobs went and now white collar jobs are starting to become more and more redundant. And, you know, I just read that a big hedge fund has uh, come up with an AI that is actually going to make a lot of their like highly intelligent, like unbelievably experienced investment managers obsolete in a few years time, you know, like, so if like those guys aren't going to really be having a, a career path anymore, then what the hell are the rest of us meant to do, you know? Um, and so either way, there's going to be this big economic overhaul. And the question is, how do we actually deal with it? You know, do we resist against it or do we, you know, refuse and still try and live upon this like meritocracy where people, you know, know if you work hard, then you'll get what you need. Because actually that's that ideal. I guess you want to call it the American dream. That was like the, that philosophy for a while, um, although it's not just America that follow it. But sort of this, this capitalist idea of what well, if you put in the work and you're smart and so on, then you're going to make riches. Well, that might not be, that's going to become less and less true because it's just, it's just not possible for even a large percentage of the population or even a small percentage of population to now achieve that. So, you know, what's going to be, I think, you know, if it's done right and, you know, we avoid some kind of like big economic collapse and catastrophe and somehow, you know, merge in with the new era of having mass mechanization and, and most people out of work is then, okay, no, now we have all these people with free time. How do we, how do, how do they use their free time well? And if, it, if we can encourage people again, like, you know, in, instill in the education system from a young age, mindfulness and the, the, the beauty of play and, and 
you know all these things that you know you you and I hold dear, um, then then it can be done right, and we could achieve this sort of like mass raising of consciousness because there's people not distracted by drudgery. Yeah, I like I loved how you said that, Liv, because um, <laughs> something comes to my mind there because Terence McKenna talks about he's talking about the system and like cultural operating systems, and he was talking about how um, like in the current system that we have now. Um, we seem to be changing the gears, but he was talking about how we actually start need to change in the machine, and like by the things that you were saying there, like more people should start like being aware of, the, of themselves, start playing things like that. It's things like yeah. that that can actually unlock that creativity in your mind to sort of like look outside yourself and look for bigger things in life. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, it would be amazing. Like, imagine if you know even seventy percent of the world, instead of spending seventy percent of their time doing a job that they don't particularly want to do are now flipped that's flipped the other way around and they have the majority of their time and majority of the world are actually just like able to do whatever they want to do and if it means you know be lazy and think about nothing sure um they'll probably still be net happier people um or if it means like really delving into philosophical issues or coming up with new creative ways of solving things or you know it's um that that would be very utopian it's just it's a very very tricky thing to do um because you know we're, we're sort of in this I, I i know i'm sort of leaning more towards like what can we do just to make things as stable as possible um because i feel like you know the system the system that we've created is it's kind of it's holding place and like there's a lot of flaws in it but there's actually a lot of benefits from it you know like it's still the best time to be alive right now look at everything you know poverty rates mortality disease all of it you know it's it's still very on on net a very great place to be um and if we try and shake things up too much without really like thinking about a smart way of doing it then it the world can like very easily fundamental law of physics and it it loves to things don't fall neatly back into place if you shake them up they tend to just scatter about everywhere and then new structures will slowly build um and i personally think our goal should be on avoiding you know sure like dealing with a transition that's probably inevitable but like trying to minimize the entropy and and the, and the scatter and the chaos that can come out of that yeah i, th- I think like you you hit on a um, good point there live and you when you say um, you quickly mentioned goals and i think that's what humanity right now is actually lacking in a sense of like imagine this like utopian um, paradise that we we're talking about just then mm. in order to reach such a thing we need to start like given like a global sense to the to the word of goals and to right. like given each other all these because i think man's greatest achievement has always been through giving them goals through giving yeah. everyone we feel meaning yeah you know? exactly if we meaning. have a goal it gives us a sense of meaning and we all like all the vast majority of us inherently feel the need to have a meaning to our life um of some form um yeah that's and yeah, people are generally happiest when they when they feel like they have some worth and and they have some kind of meaning. So, I guess actually that'd be a really good question to just go and like poll as many people from as many different cultures around the world. Like, what do you think humanity's you know collective goal slash goals should be? Um, because I think you 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 know us guys are probably on a similar page of like, well, we want to somehow create a utopia. Now, obviously, and I I would imagine that most people from whatever culture also want that same thing. It's just now the question of like different people have different ideas of utopia. Um, and that's going to be the tricky thing to manage. Um, but still, if you break it down to a fundamental thing, I think most like even the most like different differing ideologies still have 
some convergences in terms of what what utopia means you know that most people want peace the vast majority want some kind of peace um and, and that kind of thing so yeah comes back to the classic answer of just we need world peace <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting as well because i think as well they'll sink in my mind there so also as well we've talked about earlier about their sort of like like the people working nine or five and things like that i think as well that challenge actually the challenge of sort of like trying to like create yourself a better life as well the challenge of that actually pushes like a bigger change in the world as well so say if someone's just working nine or five sort of say and then people are realizing oh i want to sort of like better myself the better of themselves can actually create a bigger change, like a whole, like, sort of, like, a big universal change that they didn't actually realise that they were chasing in the beginning of just, like, trying to better themselves. Mm. Sorry, repeat that. Oh, sorry, yeah, I was just saying, I think as well the whole challenge of, the whole challenge of society, sort of, say, someone working in, like, a nine-to-five job, Mm-hmm. that can actually push through like a sort of like a bigger change that they didn't actually real the person didn't realize so when they were on the journey of just actually trying to better themselves and get themselves out of a job let's see the nine to five grind uh-huh. that actual whole sort of like circumstances where the person's actually like trying to improve themselves doing the morning routine whatever it'll be they don't actually realize the sort of the global sense of the impact that can actually have like on a big like right. universal uh, yeah, sort sure. of platform sort of say mm-hmm. yeah i would agree do you, I'm sorry, Dan, Dan. I was just going to say, do you think, um, Dan, Dan and and Liv, do you think like we need the struggle to understand the beauty? Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, there's definitely some truth to you know that having a sort of a shift in you know, experiencing one thing will then give us a, a stronger perspective on the other. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult to say because like, you know, I, I definitely I definitely appreciate you know if I've gone through a harder time in my life, you know, hard six months or something, and then it when when that like difficulty goes away and I'm back to what would classically be considered normal, I feel so good, and I appreciate the beauty of everything. You know, like I, I don't know if either of you ever like say like hurt a knee or been in crutches or like you know really been disabled for a period of time when you know when you're now better again the world is just like the shiniest best thing you appreciate so much like what you would classically call the little things you know being able to climb a flight of stairs or something like that um and perhaps that's just an unavoidable structure of the human brain you know this this need for for contrast in order to appreciate anything um and perhaps that should be another higher goal that we should all be working towards is like this this idea this uh, this eradicating the need for contrast in order to feel good you know um and or i and i guess one other way of doing that is instead of of doing the like classic buddhist thing of going well instead of needing to feel anything just be content with feeling like zero but that's that's really really hard to do um so yeah that, that would be an interesting thing to explore like how to how to eliminate the need for contrast yeah i was going to say as well i think as well something that came to my mind there's sort of like understanding that the challenges are there for us to grow because to go back as well to the, and we've talked before about the terms of like the the virtual reality when i when i was talking about alan watts sort of using like the um the inception idea where like i said before we do create simul- simulation and say we have no challenges in that simulation that simulation would become so, like the human the human being or a being right. on the planet would actually thrive that thrive the challenge to sort of improve themselves and in um that that um understand of not knowing what's coming next and i think that's what the challenge is that's why we have challenges here for and we'll have like it i think it's an actual human constraint to actually think that these challenges are, are bad 
And I think I think we need to start coming from the perspective where we see these challenges is a part of us just to grow as a human being on the planet. That's what right. I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And before as well, live as well. When you were talking about, because um, I wrote down a point here, I want to go back to. But you were talking about the um, you were talking about the contrast between Zen masters and um, people in society when you were saying about the nine to five. That's mm-hmm. an interesting concept because you were, you were completely right what you were saying before about the Zen masters because the Zen masters, are obviously, they're, they're saying that they're reaching this sort of this form of enlightenment, but they're not really in the day-to-day grind of, of the society where the, the real change needs to come. And um, I was actually thinking in my head there, I think the under, like you were saying before, the real, you, you said, the what do you say again, the real spiritual sort of like warrior sort of say, or in society, that's what you said, yeah. didn't you, sort of say? They're, yeah, they're my, they're my heroes, the ones that managed to sort of, achieve this as much mindfulness as possible in amongst modern day society. Like I'd like to think that I'm, I, I don't, I can't think of anyone who I would consider like truly that, but they must exist. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty sure they do. And, you know, I think those are going to be the most interesting people uh, and possibly impactful people, the ones that have figured out how to achieve it as much as possible and, and then sort of spread that, that message to, to everybody else. Yeah, definitely. I agree. I think I think as well that the true, like the Zen masters and things like that, I think the true mastery is actually sort of, yes, it's all right going away for a while and sort of like finding yourself, sort of say, but mm-hmm. I think then you've got to try and bring them, bring them sort of like them. Maintaining it. Yeah, bring them sort of, bring them philosophies into the, integrate them into the into society of the heart, of, of like the real heart of where things, problems are. Mm-hmm. Because I think as well, what I see a lot of people is, is, Yes, there might be people working these nine or five jobs and things like that, but there's still a lot of like sort of people in like spiritual people in them jobs who actually are sort of have actually un- understanding the concepts of like be- of betterment and realizing yep. themselves and find themselves. But mm-hmm. I think a big thing I say about them is that actually understanding that um, that you'll never you will you won't never master sort of like the, the, all the whole sense of like human emotions like fear and love and things like that. But what are people in society are actually doing? Are understanding that. Um, it's just about letting them sort of situations flow through yourself and see if you're on a job with someone else, you can actually like sort of transcend what you and what you know within that, in the hive of society onto someone else and help them. And I, I, I find a lot of times that these Zen masters can't do that because they're so disconnected from right. the real problems in society. Yeah, there's, there's very little relatability. And, you know, in, in their ideal world, everyone would just abandon everything and go back to, you know, Go, go and metaphorically live in a cave like they do or whatever but then a lot of the things that actually have improved the quality of of our existence is you know like technology and scientific process and so on that would all fall to shit because everyone will be sitting in a cave and um so yeah it's about it's about getting to that mastery and then maintaining it in some way and spreading it to others uh, oh i was just going to say there as well i think um what we when we started talking about all this uh, and when when you mentioned there Dan about um, the power of like love and the fear and I think even just being aware of these can trigger mastery in the mind because I think when you really understand the idea of fear and love that does actually just being aware of them can really can give you the mastery impact on them and just knowing like the power that they hold that to me is mastery mm. Liv, here's something I wanted to throw in there. I wrote this down before because I wanted to ask you this. But when we're talking about sort of AI and things before, I don't, I don't know the answer to this question. I've tried to wrap my head around it, but I just wanted to see your thoughts on it. Do you mm-hmm. actually could you actually think that technology is like a form of enlightenment? <clears throat> um, I guess it right. We need to like strictly define the word enlightenment in order to answer that. 
Um, what do you, how would you define enlightenment? So what I would, so the, 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 from that question, the way I, while I was thinking in my mind there, sort of the way I look at it, I mean, I don't know the fully answer to this, but in terms of, if I look at society now, um, looking back, we've had all these sort of, um, like in the future you could see that like in the, like 200 years ago it was a lot more barbaric. But it right. seems to be that since technology's come on the scene, obviously situations on the planet have become a lot better. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that just using that one example, I mean, I don't know if this is the final answer, but just using that one example, maybe like that seems to me that things are getting better. And for me, enlightenment seems like a form of just getting, of things getting better, of something yeah. becoming better. Yeah, I mean, definitely like it's easiest if, if we're living in more comfortable conditions, then there's much more room for, for kindness, you know, and to me sort of becoming enlightened I mean, technically, the, I guess enlightenment means having a beam of light shone on something that was previously unknown, you know, so actually understanding something and going, oh, this is how it works. Um, and so, like, definitely, I would agree that science, you know, like they, they call it the enlightenment period when like, actually science first started appearing, you know, where people would actually go, OK, they didn't just take it for granted. Well, this works because this is the way it is or, you know, because God may, God says so. But people actually started like really asking questions and then making observations, making experiments, and and, and finding answers. Um, so in that res- yeah, in that respect, I would agree. Like technology and science have actually are methods with which we enlighten ourselves because it's methods with which we learn about about the world we we live in. Um, and then because of those, it, it allows us to become you know to makes our lives easier, which gives us you know it's like a sort of uh, a feedback loop we're then able to then think you know we're able to spend more time on things that are actually we want to do as opposed to we have to do to survive um so yeah that's i mean that's why i'm just my main reason why i'm such a big fan of science is because it's it's a made our like lives a much safer and happier and easier place to live in and two um it's and they, it further frees up our time to to think about even more interesting things um so yeah i think i think that's actually a fair a fair thing to say yeah, it's just an interesting point I brought. Well, it's just on my mind because it's been on my mind lately as well because I was thinking with there's obviously a lot of um, like futurists as well and obviously on both sides of the coin sort of saying that AI in the future is going to sort of um, be bad and AI on the other side is going to be good. But it just seems to me that obviously for what I said before about the example of things seem to be getting better and obviously then raising the question in my head sort of say like will the because we a lot of people sort of say that in AI in the future is going to sort of it's going to kill everyone which I don't know the I don't know the question of that I'm trying to still figure that on my own, on my own mind you know what I mean but it's just interesting conversation will that um will like what could we actually develop an AI in the future that actually sort of um answers all the things yeah doesn't have sort of yeah. in a way as well sort of doesn't have the the confines that we sort of have in our head like the emotion of like anger and greed and things like that because an ai could be mm-hmm. like an enlightened form of a human yeah i mean to me I, I like my personal like if i was to say you know if anyone wants to ask me what is the ration sorry what's the religion that you believe in my anything if i have blind faith in anything it's in the importance of everyone to not have blind faith in anything, you know, so a way to, to boil that down is in like rationality. Um, and with re- regards to like a, a super intelligent AI, if we, if we do succeed in making one by, by its, it, the, the thing that's trying to set it apart from us is the fact that it is just a more capable of thing, you know, being like more intelligent, more generally intelligent, but be it, it will probably have less, it won't have emotions. Um, and, that human you know emotions are just 
an unavoidable part of being human. Um, and But they do tend to actually just cloud our decisions. You know, we just don't make as good of decisions um, as 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 we could if you know when if we could remove our emotions from situations um so yeah in that respect like it, i can't remember how this circles back into your original point but yeah like this a a, a a very smart ai in the future is just going to be um i guess arguably more enlightened than us if if that's how you want to look at it because it's going to have a great ability to understand things and it's not going to be clouded by animalistic tendencies yeah. Liv, I think the creation of AI right now has certainly opened up our own minds of what it takes to be human. I mean, yeah. and I think right now we're all starting to become aware like, of this new inter- interbreeding of this conscious machine into reality, into our current reality, sorry. And I think right now the whole idea of life is starting to get a new sense of meaning and the future is definitely going to be one interesting spiral of events to occur yeah so, i mean it's it, it makes us we it really has we it, the, t- the time pressure is on for us to really figure out some of these fundamental questions of like what are things that we truly value because um and this is why like within um sort of the effective altruism community which is a sort of, sort of the, the hub of people who are thinking about how do we make the world a better place as quickly and as effectively as possible um the, you know, one of their biggest concerns is, as you mentioned, like AI safety, because, okay, looks like we're going to be making one of these things, at least one of these things within the next hundred years, maybe sooner. Um, so we're essentially creating something, you know, if we look at ourselves to ants, we're so much smarter than them and we have such jurisdiction over them. Most of the time we leave them alone, but if they're in our way, you know, then we don't think twice about by exterminating them. Well, we're going to be creating something that's probably as big a jump sort of cognitively uh, to us as we are to ants. So we're like, <laughs> you can't control something that is so much, you can, an ant cannot control you no matter how hard it tries. Mm-hmm. Um, well, similarly, we're creating something that, you know, it has massive jurisdiction over us and it won't necessarily be inherently evil. Like ants might think of us as evil when we pour boiling water on them, but we certainly don't have any malintent towards ants in general. We don't care as long as they don't get in our homes or get in our fridge. Um, and so future AI poses like danger because first of all, we're just creating essentially God. I don't like to use that word, but it, it is, it's something that is omnipotent and all knowing compared to us. Um, and so if we're creating that, we need to make sure we figure out how to program what actually we hold dear, you know, what are, the human values that we not only need, but we really, really want in order to, you know, achieve our happiness. You, someone says, oh, well, you can just program in that it maximizes human happiness. It's like, okay, well, define happiness. Mm-hmm. You know, and I might, if it's not programmed correctly, an AI might go, oh, well, then it, you know, humans are happy. When they're happy, they smile. So I just need to find a way to make sure humans smile. And we're all like ch- chained up with our, like, things <laughs> in the corner of our mouths to make us look like we're smiling. And it's going, yeah, job done. Or it might go, or humans are happiness when they're tripping balls on heroin. So I'll just make sure they're all injected with heroin all the time, you know? Um, it, so it's about really, it's so important to like really get all these like minutiae of these little uh, programming parameters done exactly right. And that's such a monumentally difficult task to do. And we're spending so much like resources and money in like developing it as fast and fast as possible because there's like so much incentive to be the first person to create super intelligent AI because once you do, well, you, you basically got all the power in the world. 
but there's very little incentive to actually make sure it's done right. Well, I mean, there is incentive, but it's not, you know, the nature of competition uh, makes it hard for people to actually slow down and go, well, no, let's let's really, let's take our time on this, guys, you know. Um, and then on top of that, we have the problem of just a simple accident happening. You know, like someone creates something and just, they didn't, you know, they didn't think through every, you know, they think through everything and or it get, falls into the wrong hands and someone wants to use it for malintent or something like that. And now they have the most powerful weapon ever. So there's just so many things to consider there. And that's why, you know, it, many people think it's just a far bigger concern than, than anything from nuclear war to climate change to, to all of those things, because it, it has such profound implications. Definitely. Wow, Liv, that was a beautiful, beautiful answer, by the way. <laughs> and it's actually, and it's given me a lot to think about, especially on the perspective of if we make the machine human, it will undoubtedly make mistakes based on our own human emotion and our own human intelligence. We give too much emphasis on the likes of the AI will have the answer, whereas in fact, if we're the ones creating the AI and we don't have the answers, how can we right. fundamentally create something like that? But live. Yeah. Oh, sorry, um, to, sorry to jump in as well. I'd just like to say we are going beyond like the human sense of this existence. We are going into the realms of like creating God, as you say. But and this is what's going to be fascinating in the terms of the future right now. And mm. and just like I said before, it's going to lead into these spiral events. But these questions really make people open up their mind and onto these different conscious thoughts. And we just like me and Dan would just both like to thank you for being a guest here on our show. Oh, today. my pleasure! Yeah, well, thank, thank you so much. Mm. Oh, it's certainly our pleasure, honestly. Thank you <laughs> so much. Thank you. And, so. and I'd just like to say sorry to everyone who thought this was going to be out. How to play a pair of verses? <laughs> <laughs> oh. We can do that one another time. That's that's we 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 have it's but it's again it's like hard to talk about poker when you know we can be talking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah definitely. I agree. Completely agree. Thank you. Oh, it's just a tiny tiny part of the of the uh, simulation possibilities. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to the podcast. We really are always working on new ways and new ideas behind the scenes to bring you the best mind-shaping content ever. We are always open to any guests or topics that you would like to see discussed on the podcast, so please reach out and if you have any ideas, we'd love to connect with you. And if you guys are really loving the conversations we are exploring, please check out and support the podcast via going to our Patreon page and choosing one of the cool reward tiers. We both really want to take this podcast to the next level and with your help we can really do that. So please check out all the different reward tiers we've set up on our Patreon page and any tier that you choose will help the podcast. So anyway, we will catch you next week in the next podcast. Peace.